not everybody gets to A, find their purpose, and B, get to live in their purpose. We're getting this huge opportunity, so we can't let one no ruin the bigger picture and the bigger purpose. Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. So my next guest and I actually got a chance to meet in real life, which is kind of exciting nowadays. You know, when you have become friends with someone through social media and you feel like you know them, and then you realize you've never really actually met them, and then they come knocking on your door and you feel like you've known them forever, that's kind of what happened. My next guest is Akriti Babaria, founder of Culture Kazana. When she gave birth to her son, Ayan, and realized the diverse places she lived in had no sign of her culture or community, she decided to do something about it. She founded Culture Gazana in 2018 with the goal of sharing Indian cultural stories with children through educational and play activities. And now they have books and toys and games and online story albums, which uh, are being shared around the U.S., she also makes incredible Indian toys, the Vali gifts. She's a storyteller, so she has story time that explain Holi and Navratri and anything that, you know, she would teach her own son about South Asian culture and all of its beautiful treasures. Also, Culture Gazana is the first Indian cultural toy brand found on Target.com and Nordstrom.com. And then you'll hear in the interview, it's going to be launching with another big brand soon. We had a blast talking about it all as a mother of two little girls who is trying to share our culture as much as possible. I could not recommend checking out Culture Kazana more. They have some fantastic products in there to share with their kids. And Gruthi really is just one of the good ones. And so I was very, very happy we got to make this happen. Please enjoy my interview with Akruthi Babaria. Let's talk about current projects. What are you guys working on right now at Culture Kazana? What should people know about? I went to the website, of course, and checked out all the new products. And thank you for sending the girls all the Rungoli stuff. They loved it. We really appreciate it. But talk to me about what you're working on now. Before I tell you what we're working on now, thank you for sharing that your girls loved it because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if the kids didn't love what we do. So that means the world to me. Yay, they loved it. So thank you for sharing that. And what are we working on? So we launch on Macy's, Macy's Macy's.com, and hopefully a little more to come soon. By end of February, we should be on Macy's.com if the technology worlds kind of cooperate. And then... Working on a few new products for fall, going full force for Holi. We have a lot of fun stuff in the pipeline for Holi, a lot of fun projects that we're doing. Also this time working with a few festivals and events and things like that, making Holi safe for everybody, making it fun, hiring my first general manager soon. Ooh, that's a big deal. Yeah, so the company's growing, a lot of back-end stuff and a lot of customer-facing stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, so for the listeners, we actually met in real life, was it a month ago? When was it? Yeah, in January. About a month ago, yeah. And I'm sure everyone understands this. Like, you feel like you know the person, obviously, through IG and social media. So when you came over, I was like, 
we've met already. Like I felt like we had met in real life already. And of course, I've been following you for years and love what you do. So it's kind of nice. You're one of the few guests, besides like people that were already friends of mine, but few guests I have connected with through social media that I got to meet in real life. For all the listeners, she's as sweet as you think she is. It's, it was really cool to meet you. So let's talk about Holy because, you know, you obviously have tons of products, but talk to me a little bit about what uh, you guys are offering for Holy, what people should look out for. Is there any kind of promotional thing people can look out for? Because I feel like Holy obviously is one of the kids' favorite holidays. Yes. So I didn't even for the longest time think that we would have a product for Holy. Like, I didn't think I wanted to get in the color powder business because it's a very tough business. Let me tell you. The margins are slim. It's weighted products. You've got to sell a lot of products to make a little bit of money. So from business standpoint, it's hard. But what happened is, as my kid was growing up and he was playing with colors, he's not playing how gently we play with colors. He's putting it in his mouth. It's going up his nose. It's going in his eyes. And he's got asthma. I'm like, I don't know what you're eating right now, what you're inhaling. And you're looking pink, blue, purple for days. I'm throwing out your jackets. That's when, again, as a mom, I sat down. I'm like, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. And that's how I got into the color powder business. After making puzzles and craft kits that I just... If not me, who else? I'm going to solve this problem. And that's when I started working with the manufacturing and created this all-natural, non-toxic, 100% washable. So your white shirt's going to come out looking white. It's going to come out of your white good sneakers. It came off of my couch, like my fabric couch. And it's non-toxic. It's tested, 100% tested, and it's biodegradable. So that's how I came up with it. I'm like, okay, you need a mom to solve certain problems. All problems. Are you kidding me? Yeah, all problems. We could run the world. Then I started it a little bit the year before. Last year, it really went very well. So this year, I am going full force. Then I realized, you know what? A lot of schools want to work with me. So I'm working with Teach AAPI. We're doing some classroom kits with them. That's something new this year. Because outside of just selling products to families and being part of their homes, what really brings me joy is being part of classrooms. Because that joy when your kid comes home with like Lunar New Year or something that they've learned and they share at home is just so special. So yeah, so we're doing more and more classrooms, more schools, more festivals. And so we've tweaked our product a little bit too in terms of the packaging. So we started, now we have a one pound bag. You know what? I, I think I bought this last year. You probably did. So we changed our packaging a little bit this year and we started one pound bags, which I'm launching actually this coming week, the one pound bag, because that's what schools want, because they're going to pour it into little Dixie cups and let's less packaging, right? So again, we're trying to be more sustainable, more thoughtful of how our consumers are using our product. I can tell you as a mother, I mean, I remember growing up playing Holy and having color on my face for like a week. It would never go away. I would go to school like that. I would be embarrassed. I mean, I loved Holy so much, but 
back in the day, I don't even know what we, I think we were using stuff from India. I don't even know what powders we were using. And I remember that. So this is, when I was growing up, when we were growing up, we didn't wholly at these big parks and it was at the, you know, the Hindu temples and, but more so nowadays, I feel like a lot of us are, you know, doing it in our homes and doing private parties with friends. And so the fact that this powder, you can clean it off and not stress out about, I mean, it is a big deal for sure. And so no, we're, I'm definitely getting, I checked it out on the website. And just out of curiosity, is the Holy Products, is that your biggest selling product? What are your most popular products right now? My most popular product is my puzzle. I say that it's my ticket to retirement, the puzzle that I sent you, this one, the 48 piece. It was the first product. I just did my fifth production run for it. That is still the most popular product. And after that, it's the craft kits, especially the, the sand art. Because I completely ran out. Like at the end, I was taking stuff that I had hid away from my kid I sold even that. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, what's happening here? I'm like, you got to test it, okay? You got to test it. You got to don't try worry. the samples. He's like, you don't worry, your mom knows where to get it from. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Actually, I got to say, the puzzle, that's the first thing they opened and finished. Like, it's in the, in the front of our house right now, like a little rungoli. We kept it right in the front door, so I can see why. So, of course, you know, I know what you do, but I did my little research and I was watching some videos. and. You started in 2018 after you had your son. You know, you, you realized you wanted to normalize cultural stories. And it's, it's about understanding each other more, right, at the end of the day and being able to share our stories with everyone, not just with, with our community. And I, I didn't realize that when you first started off, it was more, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was more about experiences. I know books, you were looking at multi-sensory ways of sharing stories, but it was only because of COVID you started the, with the products. Is that right? That is very correct. So in the beginning, I was not only trying to solve a bigger problem, but I was trying to solve a problem in my home because I saw it in my home. And you know, like when you have a kid, like you get flashbacks of very dramatic here, but you get flashbacks of your childhood. And when I moved to America, I was 16. I don't recommend that age to anybody because <laughs> I went to high school and I was made fun of. And then that sticks with you, right? Like, of course, I got through it and it made me stronger and I am where I am. But I will always remember that. I will always remember certain comments. So as you have your kid, you get scared. Like, I don't want my kid to go through that or even worse. I don't want my kid to turn into that kid who's going to turn around and make fun of other people. Like, I wouldn't stand for it. So I wanted to solve the problem, and I couldn't figure out production immediately. The plan was always to have products. So fun fact, I've never shared it with anyone. What I really wanted to do was a subscription box, because they were very hot back then. But for that, I needed stuff. And I didn't have the bandwidth or enough time before my kid grew up to be able to create them. Because with the subscription box business, you have to have a pipeline ready for 12 months before you launch. You can't just launch one month and then wait how it does to have the second month. So then I travel to India. I get like 500 books. I read through them. Because not everything that I read growing up in India would 
apply to children here. I wanted to be very careful of the language, how women were portrayed, how certain things were portrayed before exposing my child to it. So that's how I started like an online bookstore. Because then I reached out to those publishers and I became their exclusive distributor in the United States. Then what happened is schools and libraries started finding out about me. And then I became a big supplier to schools, libraries, museums. And then came COVID. So the biggest chunk of my business was gone overnight because nobody was going to schools. No museums were shutting down. Nobody was going to the libraries. And that's when I'm like, okay, do I shut shop or do I pivot? Pivot. So my husband always and I, we it. had this, <laughs> my husband and I, we had this conversation like, okay, listen, I can always go back to getting a full-time job. Like I have an MBA. I will get a job somewhere, but I don't want to give this up yet. Can we? I'm like, these are my numbers. This is what I want to just risk right now. This is a product I've been thinking about for a long time, was the Rangoli puzzle. Because I couldn't do Rangolis here. I live in Northeast. There's always snow, cold, wind. Yeah, you're, you are in the cold. And our houses not, are not made in a way that you're going to put color powder and do Rangolis. And that was a big part of my growing up and my childhood. Like sweet, sweet memories. And I always wanted to turn that into a puzzle. So did that, have a few friends who know a thing or two about it. They were very kind to mentor me, learned a lot. Fun fact, like as I am submitting the packaging design, which I did most of it, I realized I don't have an address to share, which is required by law on the box. I don't want to give my home address. So I run to the post office. And I get a P.O. box. And then I come and I slap it on the fire. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So the things you learn, yeah. right? Learn it. It's literally learn as you go. And that's how I made the first puzzle. Wow. And that first puzzle, I got 50 of those FedEx Air just to see if those would, like I had a production run of thousands. And who's, who's designing minimum. all of this? Is it you? So yes, I have a designer who I work with. And I generally go with, I exactly know in my head how I want it to look, but I cannot draw to save my life. So we work together on, like, I'll give references. I will give the color palettes. I will give the exact thickness it needs to have. Like for puzzles also, you want to make sure each piece, it, the design has to be such that each piece is unique. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So I know in my head what I want. And then I work with a designer to kind of bring it to life. It's a great, great gift. I mean, you should make more. My seven-year-old loved it. My older daughter's like, can she, can she give us more that are more like difficult and challenging? And I was like, I'll ask her. I'll ask her to do that for you. So I do have one. <laughs> oh, you see the one in the back? That's a 150-piece one. So the next one that I'm making is going to be 100-piece. Because I realized between 48 and 150, because 150 really takes a leap in challenge, because it's not symmetrical, the borders. So now I'm making a 100-piece for fall, which I haven't shared with anybody. You're the first person. But I'm making a 100-piece for fall. Okay, awesome. Yeah, she was, my 10-year-old was like, I want more. I want to do it more, because she, she did it, like, quickly, obviously. 
So yeah, so then he pivoted to product. Then as of now, it, it just seems from what I know, now you're focused mainly on product. Obviously, you, you do have experiences and stuff like that, but what's the percentage here of like mostly product versus experiences versus you speaking at things? Like how do you divide your time with the business? It is mostly products because until I bring this person on, hopefully in the next few months, they will be completely onboarded general manager. I've been the only full-time employee. Through all of this, I also gave birth to another child. So I've been growing a family, growing a business. And I've been growing a product line along with now what I turn the experiences into is story auntie, is what you see on Instagram. Is, okay, I'm not going to charge for those things. That's why a lot of people come to me because they want those stories. So I continue to make that content and it gives me a lot of joy. I love telling stories. I love researching them. So I will continue to do that, but what I, I won't charge for it. And then I also have an audio story album on Spotify. It's called Treasure Tales, which has five stories. It's for free. I haven't done much with it because it launched like a month after I had my baby. <laughs> I tell everyone this that I like, yeah, you should do a story podcast. That would blow up. I would love to do it once I can figure out enough employees to run certain parts of the business. Currently, I make, I sell, I run, grow. Some days if Fulfillment Center can't do it, even pack boxes. So yeah. Totally. I'll have your back on that. I'll, I'll set you up for that because I think that would be just, you know, short, 10, 12 minute episodes of a cultural story, like something you could put on in the car during carpool or like while you're dropping your kids off. I would totally listen to that. Thank you. I would love to do I that. I think we're going to do this. I'm going to make it happen for you. I think that would add so much dimension. And I think people, especially uh, first gen born here, like, like me, who want to teach their kids stuff, but who has time and no one makes the time and whatever, whatever excuse we want to come up with. But I would love that right now. Like I have budgets on, on Spotify in the more I'm trying whatever I can with the time I have. And that's amazing. We just have a business idea. We got to do this. Okay. Yeah. So right now it's mainly products and I have been very focused on not just growing puzzles, but also diversifying across categories. Because for several reasons, the biggest being a child doesn't experience play through just one medium. A child will love to do coloring. They will love to do crafting. They will love to do sensory play and puzzles. So how can I provide enough resources to this one family where they can keep experiencing culture having fun, and don't have to go outside of Culture Kazana. Right. That's an amazing mission. And I think that's exact. I mean, you're doing it, you know? So like you said, you know, you started this in 2018. So this is six years now. I'm sure it's been quite a journey. For you, what, has, what have been your personal highlights? My personal highlights? That's such a deep question. My biggest personal highlight is every year especially if I were to say this year, this past year for Diwali, when my son went up to his teacher in first grade and said, can my Mimi come and share Diwali with not just 
our class, but the whole school. A, he's proud of the work that I do. B, he's proud of where he comes from. And C, he wants to share it with his friends. So for me, that's a big highlight. The reason you started it, basically. Correct. So it hits home. It comes back full circle when I am able to see it in my house. Then I, his teacher made it happen. I went in and I did it for the whole of first grade and the kids had the best time. I was like the coolest mom ever. What, what other title do you want besides coolest mom? That's the only thing I care about now. I know. So now he's like, can we do holy? And now his teacher's asking, oh yeah, we're going to do holy. I said, okay. But that's the difference before this. They weren't doing anything like this in school. And now also I just heard from, I just confirmed with the school district. I'm going in to do a whole one day programming with the entire school district educators from high school, middle school, elementary school on how to include South Asian culture in classrooms. That's amazing. It's so important, especially nowadays. Yes. So for me, direct-to-consumer, of course, is very important, connecting with the families. But there is so much opportunity with schools. Because when a teacher says something, it just hits your kid differently. We're going to talk about you growing up here. But, you know, even for me, who did grow up here, born and raised, we had a hard time as well as Indian kids and Indian American kids. And I could not have imagined an elementary, middle, even high school being outwardly proud and celebrating anything cultural with my school, with my friends. Like that was always a weekend thing, right? Where that's when I went to the Monday or the weekends were the Indian family times. And then the weekdays was with, were with, you know, school and the day to day. And so for our kids, I'm so happy for them that they are going to grow up in a totally different light. They're going to be proud of who they are. Like my daughters are doing the volley programs at school and dancing and wearing the outfits. And it's, you know, it's not, these are small things, but like it makes a big difference on their experience growing up brown here. You know, it's going to be very that different. That is amazing because they are not shy. They're owning it. And they don't grow up with two identities. Like, oh yeah, today's my day to be Indian. The rest of the days I'm American. They are this one person who's a blended identity every single day. It's pretty amazing. And so I think with organization businesses like yours, you know, we have, I know we have a lot of South Asian businesses coming out that are promoting our culture. It's just so cool to see. Like when they got that gift, I'm telling you, like, it was like, yeah, of course. It wasn't like, oh, cool. This is so weird that we got this. this is, it's, it's becoming so normalized now, right? Which is an amazing thing. And I guess, you know, as a business owner, owner now, or, you know, running a founding a business, running a business on your own to up, maybe up until in the next few weeks, you'll have a, a general manager. But what do you wish you had known when you were starting? There are two things. More often than not, people are very giving. They will give you advice. They will at least listen to you. They will network with you. They are giving. People are nice and they are giving more often than not. Like you were. You had me over at your home and we had never met each other. I kind of 
felt like we had. So I was like, yeah. Yeah. But like I was happened to be in Dallas. You had just come back from a trip. You didn't have the time, but you made the time. So you're a prime example that I experienced. And I was very afraid to reach out to people earlier on. And I wish I wasn't. And second is that I trained my brain after the first few years. Whenever I hear no, I cry, wail, do whatever. And then I tell myself, this is not yet. It's never a no. It's not yet. But it, there will be a time. There's a yet. Yes, yet. So even when I say, if this happens, I don't say that about big things. I say, when this happens. Because if I don't believe, I can never make it happen. It's so true, even with what I'm doing. Like any no I get from guests or any no I get from, I just got a recent no for something that I was really excited about. I think three years ago, I would have been shattered. But to me, I'm like, okay, not meant to be. Instead of going to flying to this event, I'll be home with my kids. I'm okay. That's okay. It's a win. It's fine. And maybe next year. Not yet, though. Not yet. Not yet. See, you say that to yourself. Yeah, totally. And it comes with a lot of peace, you know, peace of mind. I'm not scared of, and I don't even want to say rejection. I'm not scared of those no's anymore, right? I'm just like, all right, that opportunity was not right. The right energy will come to you, I think. Exactly. And all we can do is just keep working every day. And loving it. Like I, I would do this if no one was listening. And I 100% believe you. Yeah, I think, and I think you would, even if it was just your son appreciating what you are doing, you would do it. So I think when it comes down to the core of it all, that's all that matters. And that's what I discovered too. I was like, I'm like on the days where you get the no's where there's not enough whatever. I'm like, would I do this anyways? For free, on my own, with no one, no support, no one listening? Yeah. Why not? Why not talk to cool South Asians around the world every week for an hour? So I think we're both lucky that we get to feel that way about what we're doing. You're so right, because not everybody gets to A, find their purpose, and B, get to live in their purpose. We're getting this huge opportunity, so we can't let one no ruin the bigger picture and the bigger purpose. And just know that there's going to be more no's, and there's going to be yeses, and it, it is what it is. I think I know what my core values are. I'll stick with them and try to make people laugh a little on the way, you know? So I want to talk to you about growing up here. So I know you, you moved here when you were 16. Tell me about that time. You know, like we briefly talked about, I think all of us have little scars, big scars, all kinds of scars from growing up here as Indian, as Indian girls. And I'm wondering what your scars are and how that has impacted what, like, it feels to me as probably a big impetus for starting this, right? Because of your scars. And so talk to me about moving here and how you look back at that time. So it was 2000. So no social media. We had those um, hotmail MSN email My accounts. God. I had a Hotmail account, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Back then we had Hotmail accounts. No Google. Yep. American pop culture wasn't a big thing in India. Things that I watched were like Star Trek, I Dream of Genie, Baywatch. <laughs> I love that you said Baywatch. 
but like outside of that, there wasn't this kind of crossover of information. So I come to Buffalo thinking it's going to look like a Karan Johar movie. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> like, you know, like the way he shows that this is what it's like. Yeah, you're like, wait, where's, where's Shah Rukh? I don't understand. I know. I don't understand. Like, my hair isn't blowing. <laughs> this isn't working Where's out Where's my here. sexy sari? I don't... What's happening? I know. Yeah. So 16-year-old me that has that expectation. No, it, it's nothing like that. And I'm in Buffalo. Snow. Cold. Then I start going to a high school here, which I was tested for. They tested me for English. They tested me for math, everything, for placement. Makes sense. And something that I found myself doing over and over again because I had a very, very thick accent repeating myself. Now you're a 16-year-old girl, right? You raise your hand because you're a smart kid for everything. Gradually, that hand goes lower as you find yourself repeating and then you just stop raising your hands. You're like, I'm not going to even talk. Then you realize you dress differently. Then you realize people have comments about the way you dress. Then your lunchbox. Your lunch is different. So people have comments about that. I would take like paratha. Because also my parents moved here at a later stage and they had to find work. So I didn't have money to go and buy lunch every day. My parents started from scratch. So they had their share of challenges as well. They did it for us. And I, I wish I can be half as dedicated as they are. As a parent, my kids will have the best mother then. I always say that too. I say the same exact, I literally said that in my last interview. I was like, I'm never going to be as good as my parents. <laughs> our parents are just another level. I feel like our parents are just, yeah. It was never about them. And then where I found my somewhat of a home was the mandir. So I started going to the local mandir. Then people found out I have a Bachelor of Arts in Bharatnatyam. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'm a dancer. I knew you were a dancer. I didn't know you, have a, I didn't know you had a Bachelor of Arts in... Yeah. So they said, can you perform? So I started performing. Then people started asking me, hey, can you teach our kids? So I started teaching a whole bunch of little girls Bollywood dancing and like semi-classical dancing. And I did that for 15 years. And that's where I found the joy of telling stories. Bharatanatyam is storytelling. And when you're telling them to little kids and they get it and they appreciate it and they're just, they come and give you a hug, they perform on stage. And these little girls are not shy anymore. Then their parents are coming over and their parents are telling me, you know, because of you now, my daughter's okay with watching and Indian movie or my daughter's okay with dressing up like this so that's where I kind of found my home and your, my calling and your voice your voice yeah 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 that's amazing and I think a lot of that now translates into what I do in culture kazana it has to I mean what you went through perhaps if you hadn't gone through all the scars if you want to call it bullying, however, whatever your, your term is for what you went through, perhaps this w culture Kazana wouldn't exist. I believe that my podcast 
I would not have launched this if I hadn't gone through some kind of trauma, whatever you want to call it, growing up, being brown, remembering those moments of those comments, those bullying comments, you know, comments about how hairy I was or anything that had, that had to do with me, our identity, our culture, our looks. I don't know at this age, I, like you said, you don't forget it. You will never forget like, it. Like it doesn't hurt as much, but it's still like seared in your brain. It's crazy how powerful that time is in your life. And we've both, I guess I can say we've both learned to channel it into doing something positive with it, into doing something for other people as well as for ourselves. I mean, yeah, this definitely is a, this podcast is a therapy session, like a three-year therapy session for me, for sure. And I realized that like after interviewing all these guests, I'm like, huh, I think I'm doing this for therapy reasons. Like maybe I just really needed to do this, you know, to like comb through everything that I felt growing up, but never really was able to express. And, you know, when you mentioned when you went to India, got the 500 books and kind of filtered out what you thought would resonate with American kids here versus there and how women were portrayed. When you were talking about that, I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what, the, what are some examples of things you left out and why? Because I still feel like I have a little bit of scarring from the way I grew up. Obviously, my family grew up good household, you know, blah, 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 treated equally. But there was always this undertone of being an Indian girl. And I think even 80s, 90s Bollywood portrayed women in a horrible way. And that definitely affected me too. So I'm wondering, what are the things? So some, some part of me is not, I want to say kind of angry at our culture a little bit for doing that. And I, I'm still going through that process. And even religion, I would go to Hindu camps and classes and realize now that I, these stories about the women and how things were portrayed made me feel less than as an Indian woman. And I'm wondering, did that happen to you? And what did you end up leaving out? If you could give some examples. Yeah, so a lot of what you said, some of the books, especially religious books, right? They will write in them how a family prayed for a son. Yep. Yes. That angers me. You pray for a healthy child. Perfect example. I mean, I guess that was mic drop. <laughs> yeah, that's mic drop. And that sums it up. Yeah. Then how it was just, it's implicit and sometimes very explicit that a woman's job in some of these stories is to have and raise families. And the man is the one making the decisions. So if I notice those things in a story, I didn't want to share those stories with my son. Or if I share them, I make sure to tell them myself and I change the narrative. Because those stories, what you just said, that one line right there, there's a million different examples like that, right? Throughout our stories and our culture and our religion. I mean, that they have affected many of us. And so I am so happy to hear that you're doing that. And of course, you know, it's important to tell our daughters, but equally as important to tell our sons. Yeah, absolutely. I want my daughter to be fierce, although 
she's going to give me a very hard time. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm trying to keep, I'm, I'm trying to remind myself of this. I know. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going to be that mom who wishes for this fiery little daughter and then shakes her head like, uh, no, not to me, not to yeah, me. <laughs> not to me. Be nice to me. But at the same time, like my son needs to understand to view women equally. And that starts at home equally with respect and that him and his sister, just like his father and his mother can do anything. Currently his mom works, his dad works. If I were not to work still, that's okay. That's my choice. And we make it very clear. And that's what was kind of missing in some of the books. And I get it that it was a different generation. And I don't know if that has to do with the religion because I don't know if that's how the scripts were. Right. Versus the people who interpreted them and wrote those stories. They were all men. <laughs> and I say this only because my grandfather was a PhD in Sanskrit. He used to translate a lot of the Vedic scriptures. He taught Sanskrit at university in, in India. And he was a very liberal man. He treated us both, my sister and I, very equally. He gave us all the freedom we wanted. We had a voice. So that's coming from someone who lived in those scriptures. And that's why I don't know if that's what the religion is or if that's the translator telling you. Yeah. How do you even figure that out? Who knows? Look, at the end of the day, I, I know that our religion, our culture is meant to empower women originally. I know that in, in my heart of hearts. I think it's just the way we are all taught. And then, of course, media and movies. And I mean, I remember even watching, did you, did you ever watch the original Ramayan? I don't know, 80 episodes. I don't know what it was. We would watch it every Friday and... Yes, we would watch it every Sunday. Yeah. Back in India, it was Durudarshan. Right, right, right. I remember, God, when I would visit India, every Sunday, every single household had the same channel on. You could hear the rhyme out, like, everywhere. It was crazy. I remember, like... And nobody talked to each other. Nobody would visit people. Yeah. I, I have this really clear memory of walking past, you know, a huge apartment building, and most people have their windows open, and every apartment had the Ramayana on. It was insane. I was like, whoa, that's like some powerful stuff. But anyways, I remember, you know, I watched it all. But I remember thinking like, these women don't do anything. Yeah, anyways, so this is all part of my psyche and kind of like rummaging through all that. And now trying to give myself a voice because of it kind of thing, I think. Yeah, and you're giving so many other people a voice. I hope so. I hope so. Well, amazing. So, but congrats on everything and can't wait to check out the holy stuff and have a holy party. And then you said you're doing a few events. Where can people find you, see you, meet you? Anything coming up? So we're partnering with B-Funk because B-Funk is this dance group out of LA. They do a terrace holy class. So we're partnering with them. I think their holy class is on March 10th. They haven't announced it yet, but by the time this comes out, they will have announced it. We're also partnering with Bayside Foundation for their Holy Miami. And then I'm working on a few things for DC, Virginia, partnering with Akshay Patra in California, 
for their two holy events. So yes. And I haven't decided yet which place I'm going to be able to travel because all the dates are around the same. Everything's in March. Holy is March 25th. What's the LA event? That is March 10th, most likely. That's the weekend of the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, if I was there, I would have definitely come and dropped in. Okay. We're going to do a really quick fast round. So first thing that comes to your mind, ultimate collaboration for 2024. Someone who I consider my mentor, although she doesn't know it, but she's mentored me from far away, Pyle Kadakia. What is the best concert you've ever been to? Sonu Nigam. Because that was the first concert my parents ever went. I took them there as a gift. And the joy on my father's face, hearing Mohammed Rafi songs. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm a concert whore, so I just always am curious about people with concert experience. And he, Sonu come is a singer. He can sing. Dinner party with three people, dead or alive. Oh my goodness, that's a hard one. Lately, I haven't had that much time with my husband. We've both been crazy working, so my <laughs> husband. And alive, alive. I want him alive. <laughs> yes, please. Knock on wood, please. Shah Rukh Khan, I'm a huge Shah Rukh Khan fan. I mean, you've been looking for him since you were 16. Come on. He needs to like, he needs, he needs to listen. Come on. So you would have dinner with your husband and Shah Rukh Khan together? My husband will be taking pictures. Okay. I was like, can he leave the table or something? Okay. Like, does he need to be there? My husband might leave he the table. He needs to le- let you have your date. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the third person, Michelle Obama. I love her. She would be so fun. I think she would be on my list too. I've been thinking of what mine would be, but I feel like she always comes back to me because how fun would she, I mean, not besides being super intelligent and being able to talk about anything, I feel like she'd just be fun. She seems like your girl. Yeah. I feel like we're, we'd be best friends. <laughs> I mean, in my head. Biggest pet peeve. I'm going down the list of things I am critical about my husband. That's <laughs> It's funny how we always go to them, right? We're like, um... (laughs) I'm like, biggest pet peeve. Or even like working with people. Like, what's... Anything. Oh, when... I don't like maybes. Tell me yes, tell me no. So I can move on in life. Just not yet. Or not yet. (laughs) Yeah, like... Don't... When people string you along, I hate that. Okay, I like that. Yeah, we don't have time for this shit. No, I don't. I'm like, yes or no. No one's gonna cry. It's fine. What's your biggest fear? Losing my loved ones. Alternate reality. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? If I weren't doing this, I'd be a dancer. You can still do that, you know. Actually, I need you to come teach my kids. My, Kyla, my youngest one, is learning Bollywood dance right now, and she loves it. But you need to teach, you know what? You need to teach the moms a dance. We all need to do something. Oh, that would be fun. I used to jam. I was Polgana, Garba Ras. I did Bharatanatyam, but you would be embarrassed to even watch me do it. I was so bad. No, I wouldn't oh, be. Oh, God, I was terrible. I wouldn't be. Mine's very rusty. I think you'd be fine. I think you'd be decent. It's rusty. <laughs> and look, we're getting older. Everything's rusty, you know? Mm. It happens. <laughs> the knees crack. <laughs> they do crack. God. I don't know if you have a bucket list, but if you do, what's one thing you want to check off for this year? One thing I want to check off for this year. Oh, man, I have lots of bucket lists. I have a uh, top three things in bucket list. Tell them, tell me. One is a revenue goal. The second is I want to launch with a retail partner in store because it's very hard if you're a cultural product to launch in store. And the third one is um, 
I want to be on Oprah's favorite things. We put it out there, man. Now the universe knows. Now the universe knows. Oprah, are you listening? I mean, Oprah usually listens to my podcast, so I'm sure, I'm sure she will. Uh... Now, Shah Rukh Khan, Michelle, Oprah. Yeah, all three listen. I'm sure they listen. Exactly. <laughs> They'll call me up. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to their people, okay? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Tuckered Out is hosted by me, Ami Tucker. This episode is produced by Jeannie Media with Jeannie Saraswathi, Ashley Tuff, Micah Sweetman, Hans Andres, and Laura Radescu. You can follow me at Tuckered Out Podcast on Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast.